Welcome to the Starting Over Stronger Show, where you'll find help and hope for your divorce survival and recovery. Divorce well, live well. Welcome back to the Starting Over Stronger Show. Thank you again for joining me this week to read the Starting Over Stronger memoir. And we're going to pick up in the middle of chapter seven, and we'll chat after. I'm going to go ahead and get started. We're starting at the bottom of page 141. As a Christian, a diehard romantic, and the most loyal girl you'll ever meet, the idea of divorce was such a foreign concept. For many years, I had counseled women in my circles to never give up hope. Divorce was not an option. I had cried out for help for a long time, but so stuck in a victim mentality that I could not seem to free myself, and yet I still did not want to admit defeat. Even with my upstairs existence as a buffer, could I imagine a life I had never known? Being single in my 40s? Living my life without the only man I had ever loved? The one I had depended on financially since I was old enough to learn how to depend on myself financially, though I never had. I didn't know. I only knew that I did not want to be on a constant emotional roller coaster, to live with someone who loved to argue to be controlled and not allowed to be who I am or do what I need and want in my life, to be lied to, cheated on, manipulated, then told it was all my fault, to be in a constant competition with someone hell-bent on being right, him, and someone being wrong, me, in every scenario, to be married to someone who did nothing but go from his work to his recliner, complaining about anything else he had to do. Rather than living life, going on adventures, and having fun. To be dependent financially on someone who created that dependence and kept it going for his own selfish gain while requiring me to cook, clean, and do the things with the kids that he didn't want to do. To be with someone who was not interested in growing, evolving, and changing for the better. To have a partner who never accepted responsibility for his own faults. To keep giving what I was not getting back. Unconditional love, forgiveness, grace, concern, and respect. I did not want most of what I had in this relationship. Truth be told, if I had a career of my own, I would have left years sooner. My children and I would have been better off mentally and emotionally, even financially. I managed my brain through journaling, drawing out all the yuck inside through the written word. Literally, I could not stand myself any longer. The ruts I had driven my life through were so deep I'd lost all sense of the reality that I was still in the driver's seat. However hard it might be, I could choose a new route. 
I needed to get the mess out of my head that was telling me to stay in the ruts. Finally, I created a road map I could make sense of. Ever so slowly, I put my car in drive and followed different routes that made sense. They felt so good. While I continued to work it out through my journals, daily life was still going on all around me. My physical presence was often all I could muster to give, especially to my husband, but sometimes to anything or anyone, even my children, then teenagers, who needed, even if they didn't necessarily want, more of me. The internal work I was doing was intense, all-consuming. One thing had changed. I was no longer sucked into the vortex of his emotional roller coasters. An analogy by a therapist showed me how to effectively deal with the emotional roller coasters of a teenager, but more often it applied to my marriage. They may be up and down and up and down, but what they need is someone who will always be there for them at ground level. Always there, steady and consistent when they come back up or down. Let them always find you at the base. Especially now with the space to emotionally detach from the painful and dreaded drama triangle that I had learned about in The Empowerment Dynamic by David Emerald, I was able to approach him and the relationship in this way. No matter how high or how low his moods and emotions were, I stayed mostly steady and consistently calm and unruffled. I was doing what I said I would do, changing for the better, and I believe this was challenging him, probably in ways he didn't appreciate. He would have to do the same to ever create a relationship that would sustain us. I hoped he would rise to the occasion with the burdens of his broken childhood and any lingering head injury issues resolved. I reminded Stan as often as I needed to that I would never go back to the way things were. We could become more than we had ever been before and create a new marriage, healthy for both of us, a marriage that could last forever, a marriage where we both had a voice where both of our thoughts and feelings mattered. This was always the goal for me. I would learn a hard lesson over these nine months of supposedly Hail Mary efforts. Some people choose not to change. Some people can go through all the motions, saying all the right words, spend hours across months of trauma therapy in an effort to repair all the pain of their past, they can even subject themselves to a grueling day-long psychological evaluation, all with a self-serving plan and goal of proving a point, while simultaneously stepping outside the marriage, even as they give lip service to a desire to stay married. Aloha, my old familiar pain. Somewhere in the first several weeks of the EMDR therapy stage, we went on a trip to Hawaii. The timing was far from ideal, but it was a company trip rewarding Stan for his accomplishments that year, and the timing was not up to us. He considered going alone. He considered taking his good friend of many years as a boy's trip. 
He conceded to me being his sidekick on this trip of a lifetime, although I am not sure he was excited about me going. There were some great moments. Maui truly is a beautiful place. I wanted to make the most of it, no matter what would happen with Stan and I long term. We had not slept in the same bed for five months, so that was going to be an adjustment. We were still sexually active, though. Perhaps it's odd. That part of our lives was always pretty good, no matter what else we were dealing with. One notable exception took me many years to understand. Stan would not look me in the eye when we were making love. The eyes are the windows to the soul, right? I learned from one of our many counselors along the way the importance of sustained eye contact, especially during lovemaking. This only intensified my desire to connect with Stan in this way. Yet another, if only. If only I can get Stan to look in my eyes as we make love, we can connect in the way I so desire. If only it were that simple. I think he knew if he truly allowed me to gaze into his eyes for any length of time, I would know all I needed to know. I would see the truth about who he was, and I would know he was not really for me. During that trip, Stan slipped out of the room late one night when he thought I had fallen asleep. In my gut, I knew where he had gone. He claimed to have been walking on the beach when he returned to an awake and stewing wife. The resort staff confirmed what I already knew. He would have had no access to the beach after midnight. At home, I discussed this incident with Chris. Chris, I think we both know what happened. What will confronting him without irrefutable proof accomplish? Me, I don't know, probably nothing. Chris, generally speaking, that is the rule of thumb. If you don't have proof, you can do more damage than good confronting someone. Besides, the conversation you are imagining having isn't so much what needs to happen for you to get clarity on what this means for you. Self-exploration is what you need. How about this? You get out your journal and you write every single detail of the whole trip, everything that led up to it, the details of that night, your interpretations and how it all makes you feel. You can write it as a story or you can write it as a letter to him saying everything you want to say right now. Get it all out while it is fresh in your mind. Then tuck it away in a safe place for now, knowing that you will have the opportunity at some point to share it when it might be heard and handled well. For now, things are so volatile. He's still in the beginning stages of his EMDR. You guys are still on the rocks. And this kind of conversation would be better if it happens in the context of marriage counseling when we get to that after the EMDR and NPE. Me. Okay, I guess that makes sense. So I wrote it all out, and we went on as if it didn't happen. He continued EMDR. I trusted the process and focused on me, preparing for if things did not go the way I wanted them to go. Following the Maui trip, with this painful story released only into my journal, Life was relatively peaceful on the surface. One day, it had been a good day, so in trying to reconnect a little to ease us through the process of his EMDR as it neared its completion, 
I thought it might be a nice gesture to offer to sleep over in his room one night. A fun little surprise, it seemed to me. Late one evening, I knocked on his door, offering to sleep with him. Suddenly, the air felt heavy with an immediate tension. My invitation was unwelcomed. You can't just decide one day to come sleep with me. I need time to adjust to the idea, he said, with offense and tension in his voice. Perplexed, I simply retreated back upstairs to my room. Many years later, it makes sense. He didn't want me in there because at that moment he was in the middle of something else, with someone else, either texting or talking with someone. There could be no good reason for a man who wanted to save his marriage to reject the woman who he is supposedly trying to pursue healing within this way. Several weeks later, EMDR was complete. It was time for the neuropsychological exam. The question on my mind was, would Stan keep his word? Shockingly, he did. He seemed extremely nervous, but he went through with it. After several weeks of waiting for the results, Stan came home with that 10-page report in his hand and an extra bounce in his step. He could not wait to tell me all about it. He would not let me see it except folded over to certain portions he wanted to point out, but he summarized it in two ways. One, he had some anxiety and insomnia, and two, he did not have any post-concussive symptoms. As far as he was concerned, this was a clean bill of health and a great big, I told you so, and that is exactly how he treated it. He gloated for days. I was stunned. Nothing? With all the issues and behaviors we had dealt with for years on end, there was no explanation for any of that in this exhaustive psychological study. I was speechless, and I wanted to see that entire report with my own eyes. Just a few hours later, he left for a meeting. I found it in his top dresser drawer with relative ease. Almost too easy. Why would he not have secured it if he was so determined that I not see it? Odd. I made a copy with my scanner upstairs and placed his copy back where I found it. I studied it extensively, looked up all the words I wasn't sure I understood, and took it with me to my counseling appointment with Chris two days later. I asked Chris to clarify what the report meant as I read parts of it to him. He was careful not to share anything with me, but he proceeded with caution to address my concerns and make sense of the, some of the contradictions I had discovered. When our joint appointment arrived, finally, the air was heavy again. This was the moment we had all waited nine months for. Stan had completed EMDR, he had completed the NPE, and now it was time for us to come together, review the report, and begin marriage counseling. Stan did not know I had a copy of the report, and I really do not recall whether or not Chris knew that he didn't know. I had never been dishonest with him, so I probably told him I had taken a copy of it without his knowledge, but that I had every right to know what was on the report. The thing was that Stan had attempted to carefully orchestrate a series of events so that I would not see the report, and so that he could dictate to Chris what parts of it he was supposed to share with me and how he should share them. 
Me having my own copy and discussing it with Chris without his presence was not part of Stan's plan. And this all came out in that first joint appointment. I explained that he has left it in a place where I could easily access it and that I, as his wife of over 20 years, had every right to read every word of it. I explained that our agreement back in September was that Stan was not to control outcomes. He was to be totally open and honest with me. So his being upset at me for having a copy and discussing it with Chris were both clear violations of our original agreement. A man who wanted transparency and healing would have just handed the report over, willing and surrendered to whatever his wife needed to process. If he had, there could have been continued hope for us. He didn't. He was livid. Flying Colors As we began to discuss the report, the room was vibrating with Stan's offense and anger. The detail of most interest to me was one Chris and I had discussed. Having worked with Dr. Lessing for 10 years earlier in his career, Chris was well acquainted with this finding. I cannot recall the clinical term, but Chris put it in layman's terms as faking good. He had explained in my previous appointment with him that when a patient answers the questions in such a way as to make himself appear to be better, kinder, more positive than he actually is, this is the finding that results. I was blown away by this. Nothing else on the test was remarkable to me, but this was everything. How could a test know if someone was telling the truth as opposed to pretending to tell the truth? I guess the same way I had learned to determine it. Patterns. As this finding was of most interest and concern to me, I approached the subject cautiously but promptly during this joint appointment. That was the point of us being there together, after all. Would Stan be willing to hear and discuss mine and Chris's interpretation of this result? I did not have high hopes, but I was going to stand my ground. This needed to be discussed, and a mutual understanding was needed for us to continue to move forward. That was the plan from the beginning to which we had all agreed. Stan continued to try to direct the conversation. We led him at first to discuss the parts of the report he wanted to discuss. Then, the moment of truth. Thankfully, Chris diplomatically handled it by saying we needed to just read through the entire report one page at a time to make sure both of us were on the same page about everything. Stan squirmed. When we came to that part of the report, he bristled. His anger was evident as he continued to try to divert us away from that subject when suddenly he exploded. It clearly states there is no post-concussive symptoms. That is what we took this test to determine, isn't it? Interrupted Stan. Yes, that is true. It does say, Chris tried to explain. I know what it says, and I also know we had an agreement about how this was going to be discussed. The report never should have been examined in full without my permission. I wanted to just discuss that one finding. Stan blurted out apparently oblivious to how controlling, manipulative he was being. 
Chris explained that I came to him with a copy of it and he did not feel he was violating the agreement because he thought we had discussed it and I was simply asking for professional insight. He had revealed nothing to me. I had gotten the information on my own. He had no rebuttal. (laughs) What could he say? He would have to stick with us and work through this if he truly wanted to be in alignment to move forward. Instead, he jumped out of his seat, headed to the office door and threw out, I'm not going to stay here and be attacked. This was a joke to think this would work as he stormed out of the office door. It was a pivotal moment. Not once in all the years of counselors and therapists had Stan ever shown his true colors to anyone except me and the kids. Until now. Chris and I sat stunned for a moment. Then I broke the silence. Well, (laughs) there's the real Stan. He nodded slowly as if in a silent agreement and slowly admitted that he had believed me all along, but now he had seen it with his own eyes. Now what? For the better part of that hour that was supposed to be a launching pad for Stan and I to come together, I digested with Chris what had just transpired and what this reaction and that report really meant for my marriage. Chris explained the way these reports determine certain things and what each finding meant in layman's terms. The insomnia and anxiety were pretty cut and dried, but what about faking good? I asked Chris point blank. What does this mean for my marriage? I reflected back what I heard. It sounds like if there were ever a test for narcissism, this faking good finding on a neuropsych exam would essentially be it. The expression on his face said it all. I left with little hope for my marriage, but still with no resolution about what that meant for me or my future. Stan and I had little to say to one another that day or for many days after. The longer the silence persisted, the more the marriage really felt over. I did not know how we could come back from that. Then a funny thing happened. Funny as in slightly psychotic. Stan came to me a week or two later and said, I went back to see Chris today. We're going to start marriage counseling now, but we have decided it would be best to start it individually since things didn't go well when we went together. We, I inquired. This was Stan. I knew it. Deciding things for me and using other people as accomplices to make me feel like I had to do whatever it was that we decided. He explained that he and Chris worked out their differences about the report and we were going to put that to rest. They had decided that we were ready to start marriage counseling. We would just need to start it separately. This was bewildering, but I bit my tongue because I knew I would not get to the truth with Stan. I would speak to Chris directly at my next appointment and see exactly what had transpired. When my appointment arrived that next week, I walked into the room, sat down, and started without hesitation. Okay, so what the heck happened? Stan came home the other day and announced we are starting marriage counseling, but separately? He said this was your idea. I was not angry, just point blank about my confusion. Chris quickly cleared it up, just as I knew he would. 
Stan came in. We hashed out the upset from the last time. He said he was no longer upset with me. He didn't want to discuss the report anymore. He wanted to just move on and get into the third part of our commitment together, and he had an idea. He went on to ask me what I thought was a good place to start, to which I suggested the book Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. Then he more or less declared he wasn't comfortable doing it together. He felt like it was best that we continue with individual appointments as we read and discussed the book. He paused. I'm sure the look on my face said, keep going, I still don't understand. His next words would be forever etched in my mind as the final straw. I felt like if I didn't agree, I was going to lose him forever. I let that soak in. After a few moments of contemplation, as reality sunk in, words that would echo in my heart and mind for the rest of my life somehow found their way out of my mouth. You didn't lose him forever. He just lost me forever. I went on. We had an agreement that we would do whatever you recommended until he was no longer compliant. I shouldn't be surprised this day has come. I'm not doing marriage counseling separately. It's laughable. After 10 years of doing rounds of marriage counseling together and separately, after a solid year of doing individual counseling separately, after a revealing neuropsych exam more or less told me there is absolutely no physiological reason for the anger, irritability, rages, and the constant emotional roller coaster. God has clearly told me I have done enough. What more do I need? A flashing neon sign in the sky? My final haunting words on the matter, I'm done. It finally all clicked into place. We sat in silence for a few minutes as it sunk in. Should have known better. I was done. I knew it for certain this time. But first, I had to tell Stan. One day, shortly after that decision was made in October 2017, Stan arrived home from work. I was up in my room. I knew the conversation had to happen. However, I still had no idea what exactly I was going to say. I was looking for the right time to say it, just like I always had been looking for a good time to be open and honest. How was he going to take it? Would he even believe it? Would he be able to sense that I meant it this time? I only knew it needed to happen. I would make sure of it this time. I was taking the reins of my life. No longer would I ever again let myself be hijacked with his false promises and emotional manipulation that would only lead me right back here to where I had been a thousand times before. As fate would have it, he came to my room to start yet another debate about marriage counseling. This was the open door I would have to walk through. Have you thought more about the counseling idea? Are you going to read that book so we can get started? No, I am not doing the whole separate marriage counseling thing. <laughs> what? What do you mean? Our agreement in September over a year ago was to do three things, EMDR, NPE, and marriage counseling. 
The commitment made was that we would do them exactly as Chris had recommended. That's not happening here. You tried to manipulate me yet again by telling me that you and Chris had agreed on this. But now I know that is not how it went down. This was your idea because you refused to even discuss what that MPE report means to me. What is that supposed to mean? What a clean bill of health means? It means that I'm not the problem and I never was. All these years I let you convince me there was something wrong with me and now I have proof there's nothing wrong with me. Stan, if that is your interpretation of that report, then we might as well not even be having this conversation because I see it very differently. And more importantly, our therapist sees it very differently. It's not my interpretation. It's a reality. It said I have anxiety and insomnia. We knew that. And it said no post-concussive symptoms, just like I have been telling you. I go silent. I can literally feel the pull of the vortex trying to drag me down into another stupid and senseless argument that only leads to strife. I will not go. When you know, you know. Like a pregnant woman asking how she will know when it is time to go to the hospital. And a mother of two says, trust me, you will know. When you know, you know. You literally cannot unsee it once you can see it. Gaslighting is so insidious and confusing for so long. But only when you still want to believe the lies you're being told. When you finally awaken to the truth... You lose all desire to believe the lies. And here we were again. He was gaslighting me. He actually thought he could convince me of the lies he was telling himself. He could not. He switched rapidly from gaslighting me about the report to gaslighting me about the marriage counseling in separate rooms and that it was Chris's recommendation. I called his bluff. I spoke with Chris and he explained that you came to him with this idea. As if he had not heard a word I said, he continued, Chris gave us this book and he and I talked about how individual counseling seemed to be working well. You committed to this. Are you going back on your word now? <laughs> Here's the thing we so often miss while being gaslit. They find true statements to make, but then twist them to mean what they want them to mean. It is true that Chris gave us the book. It is also true that Chris would say that individual counseling was going well. But Stan took these two truths and molded them into a convenient lie and then turned it all around to blame shifting. For clarity, I pressed on. I am aware that Chris recommended the book and I have no issues with this book. John Gottman is an incredible teacher and I love his books. But Chris did not recommend marriage counseling in separate rooms. That is not the direction Chris is trying to guide us. He felt he had to go along with it because you insisted. You came to him with this idea and you were not willing to accept any other direction. So he agreed in order to continue to work with us. You can say you're upholding your commitment to the three-step plan, but the plan is and always was to trust Chris's guidance you stopped doing that when you walked out of the room in the middle of a session and then went back dictating a new path because you didn't want to address my concerns about the MPE report. And that's fine. You don't have to. But I don't have to go along with your new plan either. 
This was the point when I knew the conversation would go one of two ways. We would continue to banter and debate with him thinking he could convince me to do things differently, or I would tell him what I needed to tell him. But first, I needed him to know that he was the one who had deviated from our agreement, not me. I had experienced such a feeling of peace and release when I truly arrived at, I'm done, in that last session with Chris. And I had no desire to give any of that peace up by trying one second longer to get him to see anything my way or do anything he didn't want to do. I was speaking for me now. In the past, the next thing I would have said would have been something like, how can you defend yourself as if you are following his guidance when you know you're not? Or why did you try to get him to do things the way you want rather than asking him what he recommends and trust him? But I did not go there. I simply said, if that's how you choose to see this, I will not try to change that. But I am going to share what I believe and what I see. I will not sit in the seat of guilt that you would have me occupy. I have done what I said I would do every step of the way. You have chosen another way. You have spent the last three weeks walking around here gloating like you brought home a report card with all A's, as if that report has exonerated you from all the wrongdoing of our entire marriage, and it hasn't. He kept saying this report meant there was nothing wrong with him. What the report actually meant was that he had no physiological reason for the behaviors that I have been tolerating and trying to understand for years. This report does not change the way you treat me and the kids. Your anger, your lying, your rages, the way you try to control and manipulate me like you are right now, the blame shifting and projecting like you claiming I'm not keeping my word to our agreement when it's actually you who has violated it. This constant emotional roller coaster and absolute and total lack of regard for my thoughts, feelings and needs is not normal or okay. All of these things still exist. And now, because of this report, I know beyond the shadow of a doubt that none of it is caused by any type of a medical condition outside of your control. None of it is the sickness I vowed to abide with you through. I was not holding back anymore. The truth had come out, and it was time to start standing up for myself. I had recently had a phone consult with Leslie Vernick, coach and author of The Emotionally Destructive Marriage. She had told me these actions are an act of the will, a choice being made, not a mental illness, a choice we as Christians call sin, knowing the right thing to do and willfully choosing not to do it. This was a new revelation for me. I had struggled with the difference between sin and sickness. This made it crystal clear, just as the report had. Suddenly, the strangest thing happened. All the fight left him. I had never seen that happen. Everything unexpectedly shifted. The energy in the room completely changed. He sat down on the end of my bed, looked up at me, and calmly asked, You're done, aren't you? The man always could read a room. I will give him that. Yes, Stan, I am done. 
I agreed to a plan. That plan has proven that this marriage is over. Have you already filed? No. When will you? Soon. And I can't talk you out of it? No. Okay, I guess this is it then. And like that, out my door he walked. Interesting, huh? So matter of fact, so accepting. The man who loves to fight suddenly had no fight in him. It was as if he had finally achieved his desired outcome to drive me away, to get me to end things because he was too much of a coward to do it himself. It had been harder than he intended and had taken much longer than he had wanted, but he had finally made me uncomfortable enough to take action and he got to stay in his comfortable seat as victim. That was okay. None of his mind games mattered to me anymore. He could think whatever he wanted to do. He could do, say, believe, and be whatever and whomever he wanted. That was him. This was me, the new me. The new me took action. She did not second guess everything, and she wasn't going to be manipulated anymore. It did not matter if the action I was taking was exactly what he wanted in some sick little game he was playing with my life. I was taking the action anyway. Sometimes I held on because I had convinced myself that the circumstances would change. I forced myself to believe against all evidence to the contrary that if I loved harder, gave more, and stayed a little bit longer, the situation would evolve in the direction I desired. I had Bible verses and quotes on my walls to tell me that all things are possible. So I would keep on hoping against all hope that my love and determination would be recognized and would make the difference. Sometimes I held on because I thought I had to. I saw no other viable options. I had been in an impossible place of dependency, financially, physically, emotionally, and I did not see a way out. I felt indebted to stay and work and fix. I felt I must stay no matter what, because what other option did I have? Sometimes I held on because I thought this was love. I did not know any other kind of love. I thought I would never find the kind of love I thought this was on the good days. I did not really know or believe there was another kind of love that did not hurt. That first Corinthians patient and kind, gentle, forgiving love was a fairy tale. I did not believe there was more to life than what I was settling for. I felt like I must be a person who proves to the world that love conquers all. Sometimes I held on because I felt too guilty not to. I grew up believing in happily ever after. I said my vows and I meant every word of them, even for worse. This, after all, was just the worst part. I thought that walking away from someone I loved dearly would say something about me that I could not face. That I would be abandoning a human soul who had meant everything to me. I went to churches that told me leaving was never the answer. But this time, I came to see that it was not so much that nothing was ever going to change, but that everything that mattered already had changed within me. I got to the long end of a journey of years of trying to change a difficult marriage, and I realized the only thing that had changed was me. 
That was when I began to learn how to let go. I decided to put on the parachute and jump. I chose to trust that there would be something better out there. Even if that something was solitude, it would be better than this. I chose to trust that I would be okay. That I am a loving person and loving people can and should have healthy boundaries. That sometimes I would need to choose me and I need not feel guilty for that. That I could love someone too much. If that love was so big, it kept me from properly loving myself. That I did not have to keep apologizing for outgrowing someone who had the opportunity to grow with me. That sometimes walking away is the answer. I walked away from arguments that led to anger or led nowhere at all. I walked away from any thought that undermined my peace. I walked away from people who put me down, took my love for granted, and made me feel generally worse in their presence. I walked away from people who judged me. Even Jesus said, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. No one who would rather look at their version of our shortcomings rather than their own deserves a spot in our minds or lives. I walked away from the need to please the people who have never chosen to please me ahead of their own self-interest. I walked away from the mistakes I have made in the past, and I let them go. I decided to forgive myself. Today was a new day. I walked away from the fears of the future. I finally figured out they were lying to me anyway. I already knew that fear looks to the unknown future with a known God factored out, as if he will not be there when we get there, as if we won't make great decisions with the information we have at that time, like we are now and always have. The more we walk away from things that are toxic to our mind, body, and spirit, the healthier our lives will be. Sometimes, in all these ways, walking away is the answer. Well, that is it for this week, folks. Thank you again for joining me. We um, still did not make it through chapter seven. It must be a long one, <laughs> but we're going to pick it up at the bottom of page 158 next week, and I'm sure we'll get through the rest of the chapter then, and we will continue to move through the book, and I appreciate your interest in hearing my story. I am looking forward to getting into these final chapters where we're going to be putting into practice the journaling method that I used to awaken to the craziness that I, at this point in the book, just decided to be done with. And how I got to that point was by journaling. And it's a very specific method of journaling that is so simple that it's absolutely mind-boggling that it is so effective because it's just so simple and easy for anyone to do and I know you're going to love it everyone that I've ever showed it to has loved it and really felt like it benefited them in understanding where they were stuck in life and how to get out of those situations that are toxic or painful or abusive or whatever and so I know that you will do the same and I and I'm looking forward to sharing that with you so if you haven't already you may recall at the beginning of the book I suggested that you get some kind of a pretty journal um, I love to go to like just Walmart or Target or whatever and get um, just a blank spiral bound notebook 
that oftentimes they're not real big. They're not the size of a full sheet of paper, maybe the size of a book. And they're really easy to open and close because they're spiral bound. And usually you can find them with pretty covers. And sometimes they have, you know, some encouraging or positive motivational thought or a Bible verse or whatever on the front. So find something you love that really just brings you joy when you look at it and get that and have that handy because you're going to be in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be starting to work through that journaling process. And I'm looking forward to uh, you diving in and trying it out in your new journal that you buy. So be sure to get that. And I will see you here again next week for more Starting Over Stronger, finding a pathway out of codependency to create a new life of peace.